Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia, and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know, you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships, and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Hello and welcome to the School of Wellbeing Best of 2023 series. Today, I have the joy of sharing the most shared episode of the year with the generous and graceful Lael Stone. In this conversation, we explore the importance of creating space to feel our feelings and practical ways to embrace challenging emotions and experiences so we can improve the quality of our connections with the young people we live and work with. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lael Stone. Lael, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks, Meg. I'm happy you're here because already I feel so much calmer and grounded and ready for this conversation because today we're going to be exploring feelings and how we can better understand our feelings so we can strengthen our connections. So I'm curious to know, why do you think this is a topic that we need to ponder as teachers and school leaders? Well, I think... I, I often am joking, like when you go, let's talk about feelings and I'm imagining everyone go, oh no, no, let's not. <laughs> Can you feel everyone recoil? Well, I think it's a really important topic to talk about because we all have feelings, right? Whether we try really hard not to feel them and not be distracted by them, we are feeling beings. We are emotional beings. And I think these are really important conversations to have right now because most of the adults that I work with these days we're brought up in what we call a behaviorism paradigm, which means that we learned really, really early the currency of attachment and love, which usually meant when you're good, I'll give you love. And when you're bad or you're doing something that I don't deem to be okay, I will withdraw my love or you will be punished or something will happen to you. So we've got this kind of good, bad paradigm that goes on with this behaviorism picture. And within that, because most of us were brought up that way, we learn and we gather and we often gain an imprint early on that said, it's actually not okay to have feelings. Now it's okay to have happy feelings or what we'd call positive feelings. And I don't believe there's such a thing as positive or negative feelings. I just think there's just feelings, but we learn pretty early on. Well, it's okay for me to be happy. It's okay for me to be joyous and it's okay for me to be excited, but not too excited. And it's okay for me to be enthusiastic, but it's not okay for me to be angry. It's not okay for me to be frustrated, to be sad, all those kind of things. Because what did I learn when I was young? Well, what I learned was that when I got really angry or I got really upset, maybe I got sent to my room or maybe I got punished or maybe I got smacked because I was frustrated and upset. So for many adults, I think in this generation that we're living in now, our relationship to feelings are, well, some are okay to have and some are not. 
And because of that, and I think because of those big imprints, we then develop tools, which aren't really tools, they're more like repression mechanisms and ways to numb when those feelings turn up. And what that looks like is that when we do get angry or upset, well, sometimes when that anger is there, it spills out the sides and we project it onto the people that we love or those around us. It can be that when we feel unsure or anxious or worried, we look to things to numb that. So it might be drinking all the wine or eating all the ice cream or binge watching Netflix or being so busy, you don't have time to stop. And these ways that we repress our feelings are are kind of clever, natural inbuilt mechanisms within all of us to kind of protect ourselves. They actually aren't healthy for us. And when we keep repressing those feelings there, then that can turn up as illness in our body. It can manifest as greater mental health issues and can often numb us so that we don't actually feel, you know, we're not feeling the hard stuff, but we're also not feeling the good stuff either. And so I think one of the reasons why we need to have these conversations is because it's something that this generation or where we're sitting at this time, most adults have not been taught about and also have not been given permission to actually feel. And so then we look at, well, we're now the adults guiding and raising these next kind of generation of children. And we've still got those stories and imprints going on. And often unconsciously, we're just passing that on to the children so that when a child's upset, our instant reaction is don't be upset. It's fine. Don't worry. It's okay. Or don't cry. Or, you know, it's, it's not that bad or whatever we do to often stifle or shut down whatever's happening for a child. And the implications of that, and, you know, I always get adults to reflect and think back. The implications of that is we learn, well, it's not okay for me to have these feelings and experiences. And our imprints become, well, I'm only loved when I'm good. And so then that sets up a whole other other story of stuff that we take through life, which means, you know, I often always look for approval to make sure that I'm okay. Do these people approve of me? Am I good in their eyes? Well, then I'm all right. It often means we won't take risks and step out of our comfort zone because that fear of being seen or, you know, maybe failing isn't also okay. So we won't do that. And then also, again, it, it really often sets up a story around anger and frustration and stuff that it's not okay to feel. And they are normal feelings. We all get angry. We all feel frustrated. But the way we express it and the way we move it is really, really important. So I think these are really important conversations to have in this day and age because it's time that we we change the narrative with the children that we're guiding and raising because we want them to be emotionally intelligent humans. And being an emotionally intelligent human means feeling our feelings, understanding them, and learning how to process them in healthy ways. Oh, what you're saying here just resonates so deeply. And I think about my early years of teaching and how desperately I was trying to make sure that everyone was happy. Like I felt like I was a circus performer, like, oh, no crying. Oh, did I make you upset? Was this lesson not? Like I just felt like I was constantly trying to navigate all of these feelings, which I wasn't prepared for going into teaching. I wasn't prepared for that human element and to have everybody have their things happening all at the same time. And I couldn't quite get on top of it. I never quite managed to get everybody happy in the right moment. And if I did, it felt like, oh yes, that's what I'm going for. How can I do that again? And when people would start crying or I shouldn't be upset, I felt deeply uncomfortable and I didn't really know what to do. Which makes a lot of sense. And you can look at that in through the lens of parenting. You can look at it through the lens of teaching. When we are not modeled healthy ways to be with feelings and emotions, then our reaction is to stop it if we can. It's either to ignore it or to shut it down as quickly as we can. And we do that by two ways. One way is by overpowering and getting big and yelling and shutting it down, you know, and using threats or rewards to get that to stop. 
or the second way we deal with it is to plead and to try and make the child happy and, you know, totally, again, discounting what they're feeling. And neither feels good for a child, right? Neither feels good for anybody. And and I always come back to adults saying this, like, let's just say you've had a really, really hard day at work, right? And it's been frustrating with children, frustrating with parents, like it's, it felt really full on. And you come home to your partner and they're like, how was your day, darling? And you're like, oh God, it was really tricky. And well, first of all, this happened and then, you know, it got to recess and this thing happened and we start talking about our day and our partner instantly starts going, you know, like, it'll be fine. Tomorrow's a new day and don't worry about it. Or you know what, you know, you just need a glass of wine and and that'll fix it. Or, you know, we just, they start kind of trying to move into the fixing. Now, how does that feel for us as an adult? Well, it feels really disempowering and it feels frustrating and we feel like we're not being seen or heard. And so what do we do? We learn to shut down and go, well, I just won't bring it to you because all you're trying to do is fix where I'm feeling. Yet actually I feel frustrated or I feel exhausted or I feel powerless, all those kind of things. And at the end of the day, I mean, this is, this is the gold of it all. All we need to do as humans is learn to listen. That's it. Our job is not to fix other humans. It's not. It's to be a really safe container for them to go, hey, here's the pieces that are hard for me. And when we can learn to be present with that and hold a space for those feelings, then what happens is the person who's expressing those hurts and feelings, they express them. They feel seen and heard. They are receiving beautiful empathy by you sitting there listening to them. And then as they've moved those big feelings and upsets, often we find our way coming back into balance. And then we're usually in a place where we can open up to possibility of what needs to happen next or change or those kind of things. Whereas when we are shut down, when we are distracted or when someone's trying to fix us, then often the feeling we're left with is, well, you know, I'm not seen and heard. And that's our fundamental need as a human is to feel seen and to feel heard and to know that who we are is enough. So you can see often how we've been conditioned and trained to move into fixing or ignoring or shutting down and actually how detrimental it can be to us as humans. Yeah, it sounds like every time we rush in to fix, soothe, problem solve, do anything, we're robbing ourselves and the people that we're working with of the opportunity to have this permission to feel. I spent about five years working with teenagers in secondary schools teaching sex education, which was such a fun job, which <laughs> any secondary educators, they either go, oh, no, it's not. Or they go, yeah, I love it. And every teenager I worked with, I'd ask the same question. And I'd ask them this, if, if there was one thing you'd want your parents to know or one thing you wish looked different, what would it be? And 85% of the time they would all say, I just wish they would listen. But there were three things they wanted with the listening. Like the first one was they wanted the adults to listen without judgment so that when a teen came and said, you know what, they're vaping in the toilets or this person's kissing that person or this is going on, they didn't want their parent to then move into the, oh gosh, well, you know, now that person's a bit off the rails, aren't they? Or move into judgment because anybody who knows who works with teenagers, one week they're in a war with someone and the next week they're best friends again. You know, when we're coming in with some judgment, well, then they're like, oh, you probably don't like them. So I can't come back and talk about them next time. So the first thing is they wanted to be heard without judgment. The second thing, and this is the most powerful, is they wanted to be listened to without being fixed. And most people listen to fix, not listening to hear. 
And again, I really invite adults to think about what does it feel like when you've got something that's really heavy on your heart or something big is happening for you and you share it with someone and they just move into the solutions of what they think you should do. I always come back to this, particularly with children. When we move into fix straight away, what we do is we're effectively saying to them, I do not trust your ability to navigate this, right? So I'm going to tell you what you should do. And the second piece is we often move into denying them of learning about resilience of learning about navigating really hard things, how they can work with it, how they can feel it, understand it, unpack it, move through it. So they develop that resilience because when we come in with the fix straight away, we're depriving them of that opportunity to lean into hard things. So when it comes to listening, whether it's a four-year-old or a 14-year-old, the job when they're coming to you with, this is not fair, or I don't like that person, or that one got picked in the basketball team and I'm better than them, or whatever it is, our job is to take a breath and go, that sounds hard. Tell me more. What else is going on? Yeah, thanks for sharing. And we just listen and we be quiet and we do a lot of nodding, right? <laughs> and then at the end of them talking, you might say something like, thank you for sharing with me. Did you want me to just listen or would you like some suggestions? Now, if they say, I wanted you to just listen, even if you have the best suggestion for them, you cannot offer that. You can't go, no worries. Thanks for sharing. What I think you should do is this, right? which I say this to parents all the time and they're like laughing because they're like, yeah, that's totally what I do. <laughs> it's really hard. But here's the thing with listening is that when a child feels like an adult listens to them, then they become a safe adult for them. And what happens when that's a safe adult? Well, they're willing to bring more of their heavy stuff. They're willing to share what's on their mind and in their heart. And they'll come to you when things are hard and when there's trouble, because there's that trust there. They know you, you don't judge me. You are here and you are listening. And I think listening is just one of the most underrated skills that we need to learn to do well, because as humans, it's that fundamental need to be heard. So when I was working with these teens, you know, the first piece was around, you know, listen without judgment. Uh, the second was listening without fixing. And the third was listening without getting into the drama with them. And this probably applies more to parents than anything is that when your child's coming to you and they're telling you something, what often happens is we get into the, oh my God, this is not okay. What do you mean that person's being mean to you? Or how dare you know, <laughs> teach them mark that, give you that grade or, and all of a sudden their own stuff comes up and they get all into their own story and then project that onto the child. And, and then the child's like, Oh God, you can't handle this. So I'm not going to bring this stuff to you. So as adults, we need to learn to be that really anchored place where we're just, we're listening going, yep. Okay. I hear you. Thank you for telling me I can hold this. This is not too big for me. And then we have the ability to then move forward and go, right, how do we navigate this? So I think listening is just one of the most important skills that we need to learn as adults. And, and I'm talking about that in the context of children, but this applies to everybody. This applies to the team that you work with. This applies to your staff. This applies to your intimate partner. It's when we learn to listen well, we become an emotionally safe person. And when we're an emotionally safe person, then people are more willing to be vulnerable. They're also more willing to often work harder because they know they feel safe for you. You know, this is where we begin to change the story around workplaces, around emotional safety, but also around all our relationships. Oh, I think about the times where I worked with girls in year nine. I spent a lot of time working in girls' schools and year nine was filled with big feelings and intensity and drama. And I found myself getting into it more and more because you're surrounded by it. You've got 250 year nine students 
what's all happening. And over time, I started to notice that I can't afford to get on the same ride that they're on because it's much higher and it's much lower and it's so intense. So I'm still thinking about a situation that happened yesterday and they've had a hundred happen since then and they're so over it. I was staying awake at night thinking, gosh, they used to be friends. I can't believe they said that to each other. And then I'm thinking, oh, they're going to be talking in the morning. Next thing they're laughing and giggling, look at me like, what's wrong? Like that was ages ago. And having that distance and knowing that we do have these cycles and it's okay. We don't have to be responsible for the way that our young people are feeling. We're not responsible for their feelings. Everybody's responsible for their own feelings. And one of the things I say to adults all the time is a child is never responsible for your feelings ever. So often I see that with adults, if you're making me angry or if only you did this and it would be okay. I'm like, no, 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 no. A child is always responding to their environment. So when a child is angry and upset, whether this is in the classroom or at home, then we have to, as an adult, be curious and go wonder what's going on for them. There's always a reason for behavior. There is always a reason for what's going on. And our job is to learn to look behind the behavior, to be curious, to be like, oh, I wonder what's happening here. Is there a need that's not being met? You know, does this child actually just need some connection? Does this child need food? Does this child just need to move their body? You know, or is there information that they need, you know, and and why they're acting out is because they feel really unsure and they don't know how to do something. And that's sending them into a bit of a fight or flight spin. And, And so do we need to take a pause and give them some more information and help them understand in another way? Or is this child so out of balance because there's a buildup of stress? Is it a trauma response? Is there something else here? Because no child ever feels good being bad, right? They don't. And I do not believe there is such a thing as a naughty or a bad child. They're just kids that are out of balance and who are needing something. And our job as the adult is to always look behind the behavior and be curious to go, I wonder what's happening here. But I also really hold compassion for the fact that in our education system, where we have one adult and maybe 28 kids and a child that we see is out of balance, we don't have the space and time to lean in and go, hey, buddy, what's going on for you? Let's just go for a walk. Like we don't, right? And our system is not set up to support that. And I think that's where it needs to change because we need more adults in there supporting kids, particularly the ones that are having a hard time. Because you know, even in the school that I created and built, I learned early on, if we are going to hold space for children's emotional understanding and well-being, then we have to have enough adults around to tune into them when it's hard. And so, you know, we have 16 kids in a class at our school. We have one, we call them guides. We have one main guide. And then we have an assistant guide whose job is just to be tuning into those kids emotionally so that when someone is really off, they're like, hey, what do you need, ma'am? Do you need to go jump on the trampoline? Should we go see the cows? Let's go talk. Like they're there to tune in to help them process what they need to, to find their way back into balance so that they're ready to learn. And I know that we're really privileged that we can do that at our school because we've set it up that way. And I know that that is not the case in our systems, but it's conversations we need to be having around how do we make it safer for children to feel? Because I'm sure all adults know this, when a child feels good, when they're in balance, when they've had their needs met, when they're feeling supported and seen, then they will learn and they will give you their gold. They will. But when we are missing all those fundamental pieces, then it is very, very hard to support children to learn. It is so true. I think about the students that I've worked with over the years and the ones where you have that relationship where you can have a bit of a laugh, you can tell them to fix up the uniform at the same time as laughing and it's no problem. They're happy to go along with it. 
But then also other times where I've seen that real tension between a staff member and a student think they're never going to do what you want them to do because they don't even think you like them. I think that's a really tender but interesting place to lean into is that when we are coming from power over as adults, which means we're yelling, we're using force, we are trying to exert our power to get someone to do something. That never feels good ever to any human. And children will sometimes cooperate, but usually out of fear and usually out of this whole good boy, good girl kind of picture that says, if I don't do that, I'm going to get in trouble. And if I get in trouble, then that will, you know, that could be have an impact on my attachment figures. And it's actually out of fear that I'm being good, not because I want to do the right thing, looking at it two completely different angles here. So when we're using power over with yell, yelling and commands and threats and all that kind of stuff, then you may get children complying. But if you were to really tune into them and say, how does that feel for you? I guarantee everyone will go, no, it doesn't feel good for me. I'm only doing it out of fear. So there's other ways that we can get children to cooperate. And that comes through connection. It comes through relationship. It comes through exactly what you're saying. Those places where we can laugh and tune in and and see the human in front of us. But when we move into these power over tactics, and what it does is it just shrinks children even smaller and it creates more stories of I'm not seen, I'm not heard, you don't understand me, I hate being here, I wish it didn't look that way, like all of those stories. And here's a piece that I really challenge in everyone. A lot of adults go, yeah, but that's what I had to do it. So, you know, they can. I'm like, no, I don't believe that's a good enough answer. Just because that's the way we were raised and our parents were doing the best job they knew how and so was our system. But we have more understanding and information and research and wisdom and knowledge now that we can do it in a different way. And we have to prioritize relationship first if we want to change where it's at. And our children, you know, we know this, this next generation of children who are coming through, they are, they are smart and they are, are outspoken and they're going to tell you what they think, right? And this is awesome because the world needs it. So they are going to prioritize respect for each other, right? And for communication and connection, because they're like, hey, this this is what's going to make this world move forward in a way that is more harmonious for everyone when we put relationship at the center. So why is it that we seek to soothe, to fix, to jump in? Because feelings are uncomfortable. Well, think about it this way, right? If we grew up in an environment where it wasn't okay to feel, then when we see someone in front of us having big feelings, and usually what it does is it taps us into the wounded parts of ourselves that go, that's not okay. So think about it this way. If you grew up in a family where whenever you got upset and one of your adults got really angry and they yelled at you, maybe they smacked you, maybe they sent you to your room whenever you got upset. Well, you learn pretty quickly that any upset is dangerous, right? It's not good. And so what do I do with that upset? Well, I need to repress it. So I just learn how to numb myself or I I learn how to, to find a way to just disconnect. And then we grow up to be an adult. And then when anybody's upset or anybody's angry, our body, because it remembers everything, moves straight back into that fight or flight response that goes, there's danger. Remember, this is not okay. This is not okay. And so in those moments, we actually step into this, I need to shut this down. This is not all right. And so then we move into shutting it down or fixing it in whatever way we can, because it doesn't feel okay. Whereas here's the challenge. The challenge is to learn to be okay with upset, is to to sit in the fire with someone when they're angry and they're upset and to know that it's not about us, to know that they're just actually having some feelings and they need to move it. I mean, one of the most powerful gifts you can give another human is to sit with them while they're crying or they're upset and not shh them and not go, it'll be okay, it'll be okay, but to sit there calmly and with an open heart and just say, I see you. It's hard. Keep going. 
and just give them the space to cry and feel. Because when we do that, then that person will cry and feel and they'll come out the other side and they'll be like, oh, I feel so much better. And what you've just given them is the most profound, beautiful empathy. And when they feel that beautiful empathy, then they're like, oh, I know what that feels like. I can take that out into the world. You know, I have so much compassion for adults. Well, for everyone, really, because we're all doing the best we can. But I have a lot of compassion for adults. I've worked with thousands of adults over the last 20 years and heard so many stories. And again, so many coming back to being shut down, not okay to feel, not okay to express. And so I, I absolutely understand and know why it is that it feels really, really challenging when there's big feelings in front of us and why we want to stop it. But the invitation is to actually ask ourselves the questions, all right, well, what's my relationship to feelings? And what do I do when I get angry? And is that healthy? And what does it mean to me when I cry and get upset? Do I make that mean that I'm vulnerable and weak? Do I make it mean that, you know, I'm not okay? Like, and what would I really want? You know, if I was a kid and I was really upset, what would I want from the adult around me? And I ask that question to all adults I work with. And most of them say the same thing. Well, I just want someone to be there to listen and to not judge me and to be kind. And so I can feel what I need to feel and then I'm able to let it go. So it makes complete sense why we're uncomfortable with feelings because most of us have not been modeled ways to be with them. You know, my three children, they're 23, 19 and 15. And I've raised my kids with, you know, well, most of the time with this awareness, like, you know, it's been plenty of stuff that have stuffed up. But my beautiful son, he works at my school as an assistant guide, which means his job is just to be there with the kids, see when they're having a hard time, you know, go outside, connect with them and be there and listen to their feelings. And I have to say, most of the adults who work at our school, he's the one that does it the best because he knows what it feels like. Feelings are just feelings for him. He's like, yeah, bring it on. Come on. I'll be with you while you're upset. I can meet you here. It's so natural for him and his body because he knows what that feels like because we've tried the best we can, my husband and I, to to show him that, to always meet him with his upset. And he's a 23-year-old man that welcomes tears and, and says to these beautiful tween boys, hey, these are big feelings. It's okay to feel. It's not okay to take it out on your mate, but it's okay to find other ways to express it and I'm going to help you. And it's beautiful to witness because it's embodied in him because he has had that held for him. So every child that we do it to, we're creating a beautiful story and imprint around it is okay to feel, it is okay. And then and then hopefully they grow up to be adults that also accept that and, and then raise another generation where we have more emotional intelligence and more connection to ourselves and to others. And this is where I think we begin to see our world start to change. It's almost like every generation is an emotional upgrade. Like we're just slowly, slowly, it's not right or wrong what's happened in time gone by. But as we learn new information, as we get these new updates, we're all on this journey together. You know, we are all doing the best job we know how. Like we always talk about emotional intelligence and being with it. It's like learning a brand new language, right? And if you grew up in a family that just spoke English, right, which and the language was yelling and shutting down and judging and all that stuff, well, that's the language you learn, right? And then you come to something like emotional awareness, intelligence, and it's like learning Italian. And you're like, oh, this is hard. So you practice it, you get it wrong. It's good to hang out with other people who speak Italian. So you come to be fluent in it, but nobody expects to be perfect at speaking Italian in the first week right? Because it's not our native tongue. And so we need to learn and practice and be curious and lean into others that speak fluent Italian and listen to how they do it. And that is how we begin to shift and change. I have so much compassion for our parents, our grandparents. They were doing the best job they knew how at the time with the information that they had. 
And I think you're exactly right. Each generation, we have an emotional upgrade and we have the potential to get better and better. And when I think about the origins of education and where teaching started, it did start with that power over. It did start with physical violence. That was our origin story. And we're slowly, slowly creating a new story where we're honouring the human that we're working with and that each human has feelings. And within that, that's really, really messy. And sometimes we'll get it wrong. And I know for me, I get it wrong or have an opportunity for repair when I'm tired and irritated and I haven't met my own needs. So I'm more likely to go to that default of power over. But then also I know for me that when I am feeling calm, when I've charged my battery, I can go with a more spacious, open approach. You just nailed it there, Meg, because that's the answer. It's very hard to be that anchored adult if we haven't got our needs met. And, you know, we have to look at the adult first and go, how do we hold the parent? How do we hold the teacher? So how do we meet their needs so that they are resourced enough to turn up and then be present for these children? Because you would see it all the time. And, you know, I I hear it from so many educators out there. They are stressed and they are stretched and they are run down. And, and of course, when we are like that, our default is to move into trying to control whatever we can control. And so again, how do we support the infrastructure so that our children can actually benefit? And one of the heartbreaking things recently working with educators as we're talking about these different topics and talking about taking care of ourselves is we bring our best version to school where our calmest, most patient, most tolerant at school. But for so many of us, then we're going home to our own humans, the people that we care for, and we may roar or yell or act in ways that we would never act at school. And it's heartbreaking to be with that reality. I have a saying, you know, how do we all get our needs met here? And what is it that we can do to meet our own needs so that we can turn up in the way that we want to? And we have to prioritize that. But so many of us have got a really messed up story around self-care around boundaries, around all those things, right? We don't know how to hold them again, because most of us were taught to be good boys and good girls and, you know, make everybody else happy. And so there's many challenges in that. You know, I think people often know what they do need, but then we have this next obstacle of our belief systems around claiming that, you know, that's a whole other conversation, but it's it's very true. And it makes me almost just excited. Like I just get excited because we're having these conversations. When I started out as a teacher, we were not having these conversations. It was pretend at all costs that you've got it together. Don't let anybody know that you don't. Don't smile till Easter. Pretend like you've done it before. Like this real mindset of just keep going. Don't tell anybody the truth. And I am excited that these conversations are opening up new ways of thinking and being. And we're opening up obvious truth that we are actually all human and that we can't get it right. Like it's just not possible. Like it's a mirage to be, I often say, we cannot be Mary Poppins. As much as we would love to be Mary Poppins every day, it is just not possible. Maybe if you're doing a casual day once a term, yes, you can bring your Mary Poppins game, but we're there day in and day out. So to be with ourselves as human and our feelings is quite a skill. 
And it's something we need to practice and learn. And I agree, we have to be in our humanness. We have to own, I'm having a really hard day today. I'm feeling really flat. I feel really vulnerable today. You know, what can I lean into that can support me in that bigger picture? You're so right. We've been conditioned for a long time to put on a face and go, this is how it is. But, you know, kids are very, very clever. They can see through that. So even energetically, they know and they're like, oh, okay, we're far better off being honest. And being real, because then at least a child goes, ah, okay, I can feel you. What energy I'm picking up for you from you is what my gut's telling me. And if you're real within that, then that actually brings a sense of safety to me. So it's important. Lael, to wrap up this incredible conversation, I'd love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? Mm-hmm. I am. I am inspired by. I'm inspired by my children because I'm just watching them blossom into the world. But I am also so inspired by the team at my school because they are taking this idea and vision and they're running with it in the most magnificent ways. Every time I go back there and I see what they're doing, I'm just like, wow, it's amazing. So they inspire me deeply. When life feels hard? I get quiet and I tune in. An underrated skill is? Listening well. And I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to writing my next book. (laughs) Also at the same time going, but I am really excited to bring something new out there. So yeah, I'm mostly excited about about doing that. (laughs) Thank you so much for this conversation and thank you for being guests on the School of Wellbeing podcast. Mm, Thank you for having me, Meg. Lael's book, Raising Resilient and Compassionate Children, co-authored with Marion Rose, is now available online and in store. Thank you for listening to this episode of the best of 2023, and I look forward to returning with new episodes of the School of Wellbeing from Friday the 19th of January. Until next time, take care and take deliberate action.